Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley, and today I'm here to interview my sister about a movie from 2022, Maggie Gyllenhaal's The Lost Daughter. What mom would call a movie for women, <laughs> meaning it's <laughs> about women made by women. With women's themes. Right. Well, I'm a woman and a mom, a mother yep. of two daughters, no less. Yep. I'm going to embrace my status as an expert in this category because I do feel qual- <laughs> I do feel qualified. So are you ready? Go. Was the rotten fruit symbolic? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. And not only was it symbolic, but it was also referenced twice. And we had other metaphors for the dark, moldy, rotten underbelly of womanhood and motherhood. Like the centipede or whatever in the doll's face? (laughs) Yes, like the bug that crawls out of the doll's mouth. Maybe to a lesser extent, the ice cream melting all over young Leda's hand. All of those rowdy tourists that would, like, bust into every scene, every peaceful moment that Leda ever had. Right. Uh, I feel like there were others, but maybe they'll come up over the course of the conversation. Yep. I found that I had, you know, opinions about this movie, but being a a penis-carrying member of society, I don't know that I'm necessarily an authority, and I'm childless, so I thought it probably better to defer to you in opinions on these matters as a self-proclaimed expert. Well, as a woman, I can assuredly state that Will, played by Paul Meskel, yummy, was hitting on Leda when they had dinner. A hundred percent. She talked herself out of a boning. But was Leda hitting on Will? I don't think she was. I think she was receptive to the attention, but she just kept talking. And you would have thought she's old enough and wise enough and confident enough so that if this dude's going to make his move and if she's receptive to that, she's going to let him do it. And she just kept on peeling that orange that was her life (laughs) in one continuous strip before him. And I was like, man, she's really talking herself out of it. Maybe she was happy just to have another ear. I mean, she did do some fairly heavy disclosures to Nina, even though they had a fraught relationship. 
I mean, she tells Nina, I abandoned my children for three years, like kind of a crazy disclosure to a relative stranger in public. And this movie definitely unfolds. And then all of a sudden you hit like a rotten bit, <laughs> like an eye in a potato or like a bruise in a, in a pristine apple, you know. And thankfully, those things are spaced out enough that this tale where women just kind of like look at each other seems to have some weight. <laughs> Why was Dakota Johnson looking at Olivia Coleman like that all the time? I, I think that's just Dakota Johnson's look. But I mean, obviously, Olivia Coleman spent a lot of time looking at Dakota Johnson. And I feel like this was a movie where everyone is giving each other knowing looks and everybody knows what those knowing looks mean, except for me. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of the knowing looks at Olivia Coleman were intended to create tension and dread. I mean, they're looking at her menacingly. She has that scary walk back from the beach to her car. She's got yep. the scary walk up the dark alley to her flat. And like every time I just thought something horrible was going to befall her. And the one time it did, it was like a meteor pine cone. <laughs> right. I guess that's what that was. I mean, things happen sporadically as we're moving along, and it's so abrupt. It's like getting hit with a pine cone randomly out of a tree. But like a pine cone that's going to injure you. But nobody threw it at her, right? I mean, I thought that maybe somebody threw a rock or something that could actually injure her, and then she looked down and found the pine cone, but I can't be sure. I just don't understand how a pine cone, unless it fell from outer space, could injure you like that. I did get those moments of tension throughout, especially established up front. Uh, in the first place, seeing A24, I was like, this isn't a horror movie, right? It was like Olivia Coleman's in a movie this year. We're obviously going to watch and review this. The Lost Daughter, which is ambiguous, could have meant a lot of different things, at least before we saw the movie. And then we got The Rotten Fruit and we got The Lighthouse consistently giving us those Inception horns. Mm. It's like something's going to happen. <laughs> right. That was another one of those metaphors where she's like looking around her flat and she gives a little squeak of approval and then the light flashes in her veranda window. And we got like a glimpse of her dead on the beach and stuff. And I was like, we're going somewhere. <laughs> well, she didn't die. She just took a little nap. And then she woke up and had a joyful conversation with her daughters. We don't know that. For the first hour and a half, she might as well have been dead on the beach for the glimpse we got. Although she was all in white, gleefully sitting on the beach talking to her daughters, who I'm not really sure were alive. Right. The daughters that she hated talking to on the phone. So maybe that was just heaven. Maybe that was just afterlife that we were seeing and she did die on the beach. None of it was completely revealed by director, writer-director Maggie Gyllenhaal, who wanted us to follow her along on this weird journey. But there was, they wanted to at least give the impression, give the idea that maybe at that moment on the beach, all of this was taking place in her head. I don't know I'd go that far. But I do think that the final scene was not reality. Can I have a question. Can you die from being stuck with a pin? Well, that thing, that pin, based on the way she pulled it out, went really deep. Dakota Johnson wasn't playing. And, and I think at that level in her body, it would have perfed her intestine. I'm guessing she wouldn't have had a, a nice weekend after that. I don't know if that would have killed her. Like if you perforate an intestine, doesn't it just kind of close back up? Or do you like have internal bleeding and you need to have surgery? I'm pretty sure that that lets out waste and that will cause infections, internal infections. Hmm. But not never having had my intestines perfed, I'm, I, I don't know for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, so that was the only real indication that Dakota and her people 
that Nina and her people were bad people, as Will said they were. I mean, yeah, she's messing around with Will, and that's not cool. And her husband seems kind of macho, and maybe he's, he abuses people or he's in bad business. And that they're, and they were kind of rude and bossy, but like that doesn't make them bad people. I guess it makes you a bad person if you stick somebody with a hat pin. I mean, it definitely seemed like Dakota Johnson's husband was a bad dude, the way he was kind of menacing and, and vaguely threatening her at the car. Yeah. And I wasn't exactly sure why. But then in a strange way, also Will was positioned as being creepy. When he approached her at the fence and she was obviously uncomfortable when he asked to use her spot as like a boning pad. Yeah. I was like, why are they making Will threatening? I've been a producer for, I don't know, like 12 years, something like that. And it has always struck me that in the act of creation, this sort of magic happens where you lump things together in a certain order and it takes on a life of its own. Oh, I didn't intend it to be that way, but that totally works. Has that ever happened to you? I'm sure it has. Sure. Yeah. It's just fortuitous. Right. These creative, happy accidents that thankfully with time and experience you come to recognize. And so there is the assured steady hand of many directors that we've talked about over the years. But then there are the first time directors of Maggie Gyllenhaal who throw a lot at the wall, see what sticks and see what happy accidents come out of it. So I don't know if all the positioning of how we should interpret these characters was deliberate so that we get a fix. Either that or it was deliberately ambiguous. So we were kind of off balance the whole time. Maggie Gyllenhaal is a an experienced filmmaker, primarily from the acting side. But I think that she had a pretty good team behind her. She worked with an award-winning editor, at least. And I think a lot of this film came together in the editing. And I say that because so much of that tension felt unjustified, ultimately. Like, yes, she gets stuck with the hat pin, but really, all of the other menace is just suggested. And I think that it was probably manufactured in post to keep our attention but really, like, you don't create that kind of atmosphere in production necessarily. But I was watching for some of the things that like, oh, that was a cute little moment. Let's include that. That's a happy accident. But when the daughter starts chewing on the doll, like was like biting it. I was like, oh, that kid is clearly on her way to being a serial killer. <laughs> You might think so, but I don't know if that's totally unusual behavior. I mean, Paloma's is some pretty weird stuff sometimes, <laughs> like like threatening stuff where like I try not to make too big a deal of it because I want to I don't want to like give her the attention that she might be poking around for. Kids are weird. Kids hit you upside the head when they want to get your attention. Kids insist on yelling and screaming and tugging at you until they get your attention when you're on the phone. Like there was nothing that the kids do or nothing in young Leda's reaction that felt inauthentic to me. And you recognize all this as a relatively young mother, being that Leda, who's considerably older than you, so that she should recognize the kind of things that you're saying, still said outright to Callie, visibly pregnant, children are a crushing responsibility. Happy birthday! And like went on her merry way. So I get it. The kids can be crazy, but at some point, most people outgrow that stuff to avoid being crazy adults. Do you think... Leda was crazy? I, this is where I lose my footing. So Ed Harris, who was a delight and a surprise to see in this movie, said he read the script and was like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm ambivalent about it. He admitted his hesitation. And then his wife suggested that he revisit the script from what she called a female perspective. And then he said, 
that helped a lot. So trying to look at it through the lens of women and having heard women talk about, particularly the filmmakers, about this movie, there is a lot in the honesty of motherhood versus the expectation of motherhood and the bonds that women forge when they're in different places in their lives but have similar experiences or similar desires or fears. But she kind of seemed crazy. <laughs> I was so if she is if she understands that the children can be the problem and can be taxing to your mental health if she understands how hard it is to be a mother why then would Leda deliberately withhold the doll that would make Nina's life that much harder I'm trying to understand and not say well she's crazy but I don't get it like I don't I'm trying to base it on her, her character. I mean, she's very outspoken. She's very, very clear in her intentions. What was her motivation? And then, like, there was the weirdness of her not remembering. Where's the doll? That's not where I put it. It was just one cabinet over. It, right. But there was also the moment where she's staring at the doll on the counter where she didn't remember placing it. That was at least the sense I got. Yeah, well, there were a couple of inebriated naps where she kind of had to get her bearings when she woke up. So that leads me to two questions. Number one, are we to allow for her erratic behavior because she is traumatized? I mean, she had a difficult upbringing. She had a difficult young motherhood, and that justifies her erratic behavior. And secondarily, the weird inconsistencies of like her drunken naps and the weird playing of time, like it seemed like there were jumps. Was this presentation tied to her perspective? Like the father style? Like yes. borrowing some elements from the father, also starring Olivia Coleman. And so I think Olivia Coleman is present in two of the trifecta of mental illness movies of the last <laughs> few years. And the third being, so The Lost Daughter and The Father and what else? Completing the trifecta? And Relic. I just feel like these movies are all tied. But for those, it's like, oh, I understand what they are. I understand what Relic is. I understand what The Father is without trying to spoil those movies too much. But in The Lost Daughter, I'm not sure if that comparison holds because I was off my footing. I thought as a moviegoer, but then I thought maybe kind of as a male. I wasn't exactly sure what this movie was going for. In a broad sense, this movie was going for the full spectrum of motherly emotions. But I think it's important to address latest sanity. As far as Maggie Gyllenhaal and her producers laid it out, they were talking collectively, what should Maggie direct? Maggie said, I'd like to do something by Elena Ferrante. And one point that Elena Ferrante made very clear to Maggie Gyllenhaal up front was that Leda not be crazy. Because if Leda's really? crazy, yep, because Leda, if Leda's crazy, the whole thing falls apart. I agree. And we lose that sense of being able to relate to her in any way. Which suggests to me the author feels she's not crazy, when in fact to me she does things which are clearly crazy. But kind of, women are kind of crazy. In the same sense that dudes are kind of crazy, because we're all bent people with our own trauma, and hers just happens to be, Leda's just happens to be a very complicated relationship with her mother, so complicated that she doesn't want her daughters to be reared by her like she was, and yet she still is compelled to leave her marriage and abandon her children in pursuit of, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what, for three years. I know who, I know what, Maggie Gyllenhaal's husband, who she directed in a sex scene. <laughs> Who's also a big yummy. Can we stop saying that? 
Uh, Peter Sarsgaard's hot. That's a smelly beard. Paul Meskel, have you seen Normal People? There is not a hotter show except for maybe Fifty Shades of Grey. Obviously, I haven't seen it. (laughs) Paul Meskel is full dong and has some stanky sex. And you can obviously say the same for Dakota Johnson because I know you've seen all of the Fifty Shades. Not a one. And you know what? I can see why they cast her because she's got an amazing body. But I'll stop objectifying and say that, you know, as humans, we have our issues. The problem I have with Leda is that regardless of her gender or gender identity, Leda makes things harder for herself than they need to be. Yeah. Maybe she's um, like a textbook hyper intellectual who has low EQ and social functioning. But she makes things harder than they perhaps need to be. It doesn't discount how hard and insanity inducing motherhood is. I have no doubt. Not just because children are difficult, but because they also compromise your ability to focus, your ability to get meaningful, restful sleep, and your ability to govern yourself. And her saying, I'm an unnatural mother, just seems like another way of saying, I have real issues, real problems (laughs) that cause me to mother in a way that's not conducive to the well-being of her children or your children by extension, by keeping the doll with bugs in it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Let's talk about the doll. I found her I don't know answer to be actually quite satisfactory. Why did you do this? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think she really did know. I would say that she did have ill will and intention toward Nina. I don't think she had any kind of uncomplicated friendships. As with most crimes and violence, there was probably some power in having the doll I thought that she and Ed Harris had a really weird bond. Yeah, you mean old Will? Old Will? Yeah. Oh, He was just like an old Will. (laughs) Like Perfectly nice guy, there to help her, there to serve her. Kind of would have made his move, but she kept talking and talking. (laughs) And then then Lyle, the Ed Harris character, is just unceremoniously dropped. We never hear from him again. Why does she leave him on the dance floor? Because so-and-so is giving her his throwing daggers? But I was trying to say that I think the doll is this weird kind of macuffin thing where it kind of doesn't really matter what her motivation was for taking it or keeping it or playing with it and babying it and sleeping with it. It was all kind of wrapped up in there being something off about Leda. Now, what were there things off about Leda that we could see demonstrated on screen? Or was it more of a stylistic execution, as you mentioned, through the editing? 
Maggie Gyllenhaal did talk about some issues on this movie. She had a very small budget, wanted to shoot on film, ended up shooting entirely on digital, but also that there were real-time restrictions, that they could only do so much, and maybe I'm afraid that this movie might have suffered as a result that made for what they were hoping were artistically interesting creative decisions, and I think that they were kind of pushing that as Leda's perspective, like seeing the, the film through her eyes. Speaking of creative decisions, did she get into a car accident at the end? I I didn't know. It was obvious that she wasn't paying attention. It was obvious that her car ran off the road in some way. But then where's the car? And then we ended up seeing her on the beach. It's almost as though she didn't remember what happened. It's just like, I'm driving. Wee! Oh, I'm not driving anymore. But now I'm on a path and I can walk down to the beach. And thankfully, I have my orange and my pocket knife. (laughs) I think she does wake. I think she does wake up in the car. I, I remember hearing the ding, ding, ding of the open door key and the ignition open door thing. And then she kind of stumbles down on the beach and then she falls over, which we get from a extreme close up at the top and a extreme wide at the bottom of the film. Right. Okay. But you're right. Maybe the choices were meant to indicate that she doesn't really know what happened, but she found herself on the beach and she made the best of it. It felt like the lost daughter was building to something bad, right? We were driving toward what happened with her kids, what happened on the beach. Oh, I have two daughters, you know, 20-something and 20-something. So we know the daughters are alive. Who was that on the beach? We're getting these flashes. And it always felt like we were moving toward something Mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. Like when she was running around yelling, Bianca, Bianca, we never got any resolution for what happened there on the beach. And so that all leads to Leda has real trauma that she's reenacting, reliving, processing in the moment as she's navigating this strange relationship with Nina and her daughter. Maybe Leda is crazy, but to to reveal Hobbes as the stuffed tiger that he's been talking about the whole time by putting Hobbes out in the world as a plush stuffed tiger through merchandising, that confirms that Hobbes isn't real, right? It's not to say that Hobbes is real, but Watterson wasn't willing to make Hobbes into a stuffed tiger. Does that make sense? Yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal not committing to Leda being nuts on screen doesn't mean she's not nuts. (laughs) I mean, she's obviously got something going on, but I feel like this movie didn't give us that and yet gave us all the markers. And who knows? Maybe the book has the answers. But I don't think that Maggie Gyllenhaal preoccupied herself with giving us those answers. She was intent on creating a mood and an atmosphere (sighs) But not a specific mood. She wants us to have some kind of mood about this movie for sure. And creating conflict between characters without there being any actual outward conflict. Like all the conflict was like inward turmoil that they were like leaking out on each other every now and then. It was very Lynchian and under the surface. Like they were both dolls and they would stare at each other and every once in a while a bug would crawl out of their noses or whatever. (laughs) You're like, "Uh uh-oh, something's happening under there. But aren't you a David Lynch fan? Sure. It just There was a lot under the surface. And without revealing what all that stuff was, where we only get a glimpse or two of a bug here and there, we imagine a much deeper, more vast undercurrent of drama and emotion and dread and horror and trauma. All the things they don't say. And so everything that they do say has real weight. What is she really saying here? Is she apologizing? Is she trying to push this or that agenda? 
And I say she because in all cases, it seems like Will's and Lyle's intentions were pretty clear in this movie, as well as the husband. But all the women had nuance that was pretty much indecipherable to me as a male viewer the whole time. Even the uh, female hiker? What hiker? That hiker couple like shows up like Children of the Corn style standing in the field. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. With the young lady, yeah? With the young lady, yeah. They like appear in their yard and then they end up having a grand old time and speaking in Italian and kissing each other at the end. Was she nuanced? I don't think that, that couple was complicated. I think that was to exhibit the freeform lifestyle that the hikers had. And Leda was tied down in her house and wanted more and all this stuff. And she glimpsed those people as the kind of person that she could have been. In the same way that she viewed What's-His-Nuts, who had great admiration for her writing and her presence. You know, he may have been the answer to get out of whatever life was holding her back. And that meant leaving her children behind. I don't know. I mean, I think even as a parent, you still have agency. And it's important for you to not only have your own life, but to model that for your kids. But now that I think of it, I don't think there's anybody in this film that doesn't abandon their children. I mean, Ed Harris gets the Parent of the Year Award from Leda. And even Joe... Young Leda's husband kind of turns over the kids to Leda's mom. Her mom, which she said was tantamount to torture or something. And Nina's husband is like gone and like shows up on the weekends. And then the hiker had three kids that he had abandoned. Right. So much so that she was willing to assume because of his lifestyle, he couldn't possibly have kids. Right, exactly. Where he's like, on the contrary, with kind of little regret, I have three kids. And his partner finds it very romantic, you know, that they're doing what they are doing together because you still have agency as an adult. But just like not being crazy doesn't mean that kids make you insane. Having agency doesn't mean that you don't have responsibility. Like take responsibility for your choices in life. And so now I'm feeling a little bit of regret. Um, someone's going to come at me for bandying about the crazy word, right? The C word. And it's not that she's unstable or she's a murderer any more than I was serious that the kid is going to be a murderer. It's just like, wow, that kid. It was evident how fiercely emotional and dramatic that kid was. She was like, I biting the doll and <laughs> screaming her head off and, and yeah. physically turning her mom's head and all that stuff. I get it. Kids are like that. And a choice by the filmmakers to highlight that particular moment. And and likewise, both Nina and Lita were, they had difficulties, emotional difficulties processing their roles as mothers at different stages of their individual lives. My concern is how Lita acted in the deliberate disinterest of the daughter. And that gave me the most pause and made me question it than it was that Nina eventually stabbed a middle-aged woman in the gut with an eight-inch hat pin. I was like, well, that's justified. <laughs> but keeping that doll, that's unforgivable. Leda <laughs> could have easily said, I didn't feel like your dynamic with your daughter and the doll was healthy, and I did it for your own good. Like, Leda could have said that and maybe not gotten stuck with the hat pin. But Leda, ironically to her credit, told the truth and kind of always told the truth. Right. I mean, obviously, she must have been thinking about it the whole time. She's going to find out that the doll was kept all that time. Right. I didn't expect her to go and get the doll and kind of confess. Oh, man. But weren't you relieved 
Weren't you so relieved when she came out with the doll? <laughs> I was curious as to what was going to happen. It, it was, uh, now she's going to cop to it? Like, at any point, she could have chucked the doll into the bushes yeah. for the entire search party and the vast team of Greek kids running yeah. around the island posting flyers. Or, hey, like, look what I found. When she carried it out, you could see how relieved and happy Nina was. Because, obviously, Leda has no problem chucking dolls out the window. <laughs> It was like pretty dramatic where she took the doll from her kids and she's like, I could, you know, hide this away like mom did with so many of my toys and weapons and stuff. But nope, she chucked it right out the window. <laughs> and then watched it break into pieces. You know, mom, mom did surprise me once, though. I went and I asked her where my Massimo, my velour Massimo high cut one piece bathing suit was. I was like, have you seen my Massimo bathing suit? And she was like, yes. I threw it away. And I was like, whoa, wow. why? And she was like, I didn't like that bathing suit. It's not appropriate for you to wear. I mean, it was in one piece. I guess it was kind of high cut or whatever, but she had a real problem with it. So much so that she was honest enough to tell me that she threw it away, but also not so honest as to consult with me beforehand. Okay. That is an exchange I never had with mom. Our little deception dance was that mom would take weapons that I loved and hide them away and then explain to me, oh, I hid it so good, I don't even know what I did with it. And then that would, of course, lead me to seek out those things like Indiana Jones climbing her shelves and stuff in her closet. I'm telling you, one day when mom and dad are both gone and it's up to us to clear out that house, I'm going to find a treasure trove of homemade weapons. There's going to be like six butterfly knives up in the top of yeah. mom's closet. But she wouldn't chuck that stuff out. Your bathing suit she tossed away. My weapons she kept for middle-aged me to find. Maybe. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, everybody's got their stuff for sure. Uh, men and women, young and old, all have their things. Parents and not parents. Maggie Gyllenhaal's approach, that this was her approach, was to come at things that people don't generally discuss and come at them honestly, brutally honestly. But from a uniquely female perspective, you talked about Olivia Coleman and Dakota Johnson's characters coming together as mothers. But you have to remember that there's no distinction between being a mother and being a woman. And you have to balance all of these different layers of identity and complexity and emotion and assign them to different parts of you. I mean, I guess it's not any different for a man, but this was a uniquely female perspective. I know that from my male perspective, something curious happened. I'm enamored with my fiance. I'll blindly follow along and observe her with this kind of wonder and be like, oh, she's a woman. And I'll do whatever damn fool boneheaded thing comes into her mind. Likewise, I think Olivia Coleman is amazing. I was so happy to see Ed Harris show up. I was like, look, it's Ed Harris. He's acting and not in a Al Pacino, old guy, chewy, screamy kind of way, which Ed Harris can definitely do. But I would watch Olivia Coleman dry her dishes or or do her do her book, like just watching her. And view it with all kinds of meaning. It's such a joy to watch wonderful people. It's so easy to do. But just watching this movie, I had a great time just watching Olivia Coleman do what she does. And in that way, I went along with everything that was happening until she got stuck for her troubles and all of a sudden everything turned negative and she was glazed eyed and peeling the orange on the beach. I didn't understand it. That doesn't mean I didn't enjoy watching it. I would like to give this movie an all right rating, but the reason it's not a totally rating is because I kind of didn't understand the motivations, 
all the responses seemed to be genuine when people were given an opportunity to respond. I think in terms of exploring the spectrum of emotion and identities as a woman and a mother, it was a huge success. One failing of The Lost Daughter for me was its function as narrative, and they set up a lot of potential and didn't necessarily tie it up. I definitely resonated with these characters, and I super appreciated Maggie Gyllenhaal and her filmmaking team bringing to the forefront an entirely new aspect of being a woman and, a, and being a mother. And for that reason, I give The Lost Daughter a good. And all I can hope for women is a certain level of understanding or in lieu of understanding compassion for themselves and working toward getting the tools that are necessary in order to not stab each other, not hurt each other, not hurt themselves or the people in their lives. And I guess that's all we could really hope for. And that's our review on The Lost Daughter. Thank you for listening to Or Whatever Movies. Please subscribe to our podcast. Please listen to our other podcast episodes that we referenced in today's episode. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your support and we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Electric Cast. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.